Church Project. So glad to be worshiping with you today. I'm excited as we jump, <clears throat> sorry, as we jump into the book of Ruth today. And I want to remind us a couple things. One, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray for our time together? My job is to expose and explain scripture the, the very best I can. But you also have a job as well. Your job is to evaluate that what I'm saying is true. Just check it in your spirit. Check it against the word and and also accept that word if so and then apply it. So I'm going to do my very best to expose and explain. And if you and I, if we would evaluate, accept and apply it in our lives, I think that would please God. And let's take it one other level. Let's apply it immediately. Let's let's readily apply it in our lives and come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So with that, let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for letting us just gather together as your people. Though in various places and spaces today, that's fine, God. Your spirit is roaming the earth. And I pray that our hearts are tuned in to what you have for us today through your scripture in the book of Ruth. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, to open in the book of Ruth, one of the things that I want to do is actually back up to the book before And the book before is Judges. And the book of Judges actually ends, and it says this in Judges 21, 25. It says, In this time there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so the book of Judges ends saying there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In a very real sense, there was no word being preached out to the people. There was no truth being lived out. And in a very real sense, there was no restraint. People were doing whatever they wanted to do. And as we began to put this message together, and I say we because we have a group of incredible people at Church Project that we're calling right now the message team. And so we're meeting weekly and talking about the scripture and praying over it. And as we were praying and talking about this message, a podcast came up. Krista actually mentioned a podcast. And the podcast is called Bema Discipleship by Marty Solomon. And they go through the, the whole um, Old Testament, and there's a section of Judges and Ruth that I'd encourage everyone to listen to. But one of the things they talk about, about the book of Judges, is that in the book of Judges, we see this cycle where the nation of Israel is doing great. They were honoring God. Everything was good during the good kings and the good judges. But then it would go into this cycle of just everyone doing what was right in their own eye just going going crazy, going ballistic. And oftentimes growing up in church and even going to seminary, I would hear this cycle and it would be explained as the cycle of sin. And so the book of Judges is more looked at as a cycle of sin. But in this podcast, we talked about and listened to, and, and as I began to look at scripture, I wonder if we turn that actually. Because the book of Judges isn't about the cycle of sin. I mean, it is. We see this sin cycle. But that's not the overall story of the book of Judges. The overall book of Judges story is this. Each cycle was God being patient with his people and redeeming his people. It's about a story of God's endless patience for us, for a nation. That is so encouraging to me. And I hope that's encouraging to you. God is never going to give up on us, even when we're stuck in this cycle of sin. And so... I want us to know that that's the setting in the book of Judges. And as we open up the book of Ruth and we look at it, I want to remind us that Scripture is all about people. Well, ultimately it's about God, 
but it's a story about how people are interact, interacting with God in our lives. And the life that you live is probably a lot like mine. It's filled with pleasure and it's also filled with pain. It's filled with great things and it's filled with hard things. And scripture doesn't back away from any of that. It encounters and teaches us the good things and the bad things in life. The thing about pain is pain results in God's blessing in fulfilling God's plan in our life. Pain results in our life and God's blessing in fulfilling His plan in our life. And we're going to see that in the book of Ruth as we get into this. I want to encourage everyone to go to our website. It's churchproject.org. And under the Grow tab, Trace Howard wrote a commentary. He's one of the elders from Church Project in the Woodlands. He's an incredible theologian. It's 133 pages long. It is deep. It gives the, the, the context of the book of Ruth when it was written, why it was written, and also it goes through verse by verse and gives great questions that I would encourage you to download, take notes, take to your house church, and just evaluate. Immerse yourself in the book of Ruth. There's a ton of information that I'll just count on you to go get. So let's jump in the book of Ruth right now. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the days when judges ruled, There was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Mahlan and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So we look at in the in the very first verse, it says, In the days when the judges ruled. Well, we already know in the book of Judges that there was no authority and there was no king. And so Ruth opens up right there. It just continues and say, in the days when the judges ruled, there was no authority and there was no king. We as humans do not do a good job of being our own authority or king. Like we are going to ruin our lives. We're going to ruin the world just like the nation of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. And when there's the days when the judges ruled, we are not a good authority for ourselves. We need to be saved from ourselves. And this is the gospel story of Jesus. Like God knew this. He knew that apart from him that we were going to be a people that were filled with sin and selfishness and pride. And so God intervened and he sent his son to the earth to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead. And his ascension is this powerful story that that parallels with our lives. Like we need the resurrection power and story of Jesus Christ. Amen. Like left on our own, when the day when the judges ruled, we need to be saved from ourselves. We see that the nation of Israel in the book of Judges, and as we get into the book of Ruth, needed to be saved from themselves. But also it's a story about our lives as well. Our personal lives. The nation was brought out of darkness 
and darkness was brought onto the nation because they lived and did what was right in their own eyes and the judges ruled and that's what scripture teaches and in a very real sense that's absolutely true with our lives as well when we continue to do what's right in our own eyes and we when we let the judges just rule this world today it will always bring darkness in our life so in the day when the judges ruled let's continue here there was a famine in the land okay pause Church, do you think in, in, in some sense that there's a famine in our land right now? I mean, the things we're going through, the world, is just different than we've ever experienced. And I would say this is one of the reasons we picked the book of Ruth. Is in a, We are in a famine right now. And so in a famine in a land, when a famine happens, there's, people often have to ask the question in our own lives when there's darkness and despair and things happen that we can't explain and, and we kind of label it as a famine. Why? Why, God? And as a pastor, I've had this asked a lot to me. Why does God let this terrible thing happen? Why does this happen? And so when we look at famines and darkness and destruction, there's only two reasons why a famine would come about. One, it's nature. I mean, it's just the world that we live in. Romans 8.20 says this, The earth is groaning, as in childbirth pains. Like the earth isn't, isn't the way that God intended it to be. Just nature itself, the earth is moaning. And so when we hear of hurricanes and, and tornadoes and all these things that happen more and more, the earth is groaning. God is even coming to redeem the earth itself. So famines oftentimes come because of the nature, natural um, coincidences of things that are happening in the world, but also famines happen because of discipline. We can see this in the Old Testament. This isn't the, the, the reason that oftentimes most famines come, but we do see in the Old Testament that God uses wars and he uses famines to do what? To bring back the hearts of his people. And it, Hebrew even talks about that. He disciplines those he loves. For those of you that are parents, would you let your kids keep just doing devastation, hard things, like terrible things? Or would you discipline them because you love them? And God in the Old Testament, and we see in the famine, and Ruth right now, this is coming about because he is disciplining the people of Israel. Why? Because he loves them. He longs to have their heart back to his. So we see this in verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Hmalan and Kilion. They were Ephorites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So we hear the story Elimelech. And this, this name actually has much meaning. When you hear the term Melech, and often in different tenses in the Old Testament, that literally means king. And so when you hear Melech, that means king. Imelech, his name means God is my king. So we see in verse 2, Elimelech, his name means God is my king. And what does he do? It says that he takes his family and they leave Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem, the name of Bethlehem means this, house of bread. So let's just pause. God is my king leaves the house of bread. Elimelech leaves Bethlehem. 
Our name doesn't mean that we're going to live to uphold the truth of that name. Just because his name was God is my king doesn't mean that he's living to uphold that truth of what his name is. But already at the beginning, we can see God is my king is leaving the house of bread. Just because we're called Christians doesn't mean we're going to live like Christians. Just because we say we're Christians doesn't mean our life reflects that. And Elimelech is the same thing. His name is saying, God is my king. But already at the beginning, we're seeing he's leaving the house of bread. It was called that because it was such a fertile land. I've been there. Bethlehem, it's beautiful. That's where God's blessing was. That's the place that he chose for his people. And Elimelech is leaving to go where? To Moab. Look at this. He goes to Moab. Well, Moab is only about 30, maybe 50 miles away on the other side of the Dead Sea. It's current day Jordan right now. So it's not far away, but it's far enough where the famine hadn't reached that area. And I wonder, Scripture's not completely clear here, but I wonder if either um, Elimelech is leaving because of rebellion or out of desperation. Regardless of whether he's, he's leaving out of rebellion out of God just to go to Moab or out of desperation because he wants to provide for his family, he leaves. And what is he leaving for? He's looking for provision. Well, I get it, especially as a father. Is it wrong to move? Is it wrong to take care of our family, to leave the house of bread where there's famine and go to Moab where there's not? No, it's, it's not wrong to do that. We have to ask that question. What, though, is interesting, and we'll see this later on in the story, is that no one else from Bethlehem, this place of bread, leaves to go to Moab. It's just Elimelech. And we know in history, and and Elimelech knows this as well, that the patriarchs, the previous patriarchs that came before him, what happened when famines came to them? They, the patriarchs, didn't leave. They sent their sons to Egypt. They sent their sons to foreign lands to go get food and bring it back to the place God had called them. So Elimelech is leaving the place that God set for him, looking for provision on his own. I get it, especially as a father. Well, here's a little bit about Moab. And in Genesis 19, Abraham's nephew, Lot, has sex with his daughter, Incest, And the child that comes about is named Moab. This is where it comes from. And the the Moabite people follow this God, this false God, this unreal God called Kamash. And they, when times of famine would come, what would the Moabite people do? They would sacrifice animal and even babies to Kamash. That's how they dealt with famine. We can also look what God says about Moab in in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 through 6, says this, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters and your sons uh, to take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And it continues there, but the But Elimelech knows this. He knows God's saying, don't go there. Kamash is there. You're you're moving yourself from my provision and my place. I want to be very clear, though, about this verse found in Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 6. It says, do not intermarry with them. There has been gross interpretations of this verse. This does not mean don't marry someone of a different race. Don't interpret it that way at all. What God is saying is don't intermingle your religions 
the religion and, and don't let your sons marry daughters over there that are worshiping Kamash. Like, don't do that. And so that's what this is talking about. Not about race. It's about distancing yourself from a religion. Bottom line is this, and this is very applicable to us today. Followers of Jesus Christ should marry followers. And for those of you that aren't married, I'll just say this. I have daughters, and we've been teaching them from the beginning, and I pray for them still. But if you're not married and you're looking to get married one day, do not date, do not court anyone that's not a Christian. Because why? Statistically, divorce is going to come your way. You've grown up thinking two different things. Your religious views are in two different ways. And let's just project it ahead a little bit and talk about kids. If you have kids one day, do you really not want your spouse to pray with your kids? Do you really not want your spouse to go to church with you, to go to house church with you? I mean, we're setting ourselves up for failure and destruction. Do we really want our kids to not know what to believe, to go to your spouse that's worshiping Kamash or to come to you worshiping Jesus? Like It just doesn't work. And as we see Elimelech, he takes his family away from God's provision and away from God's place. And I get it. He's trying to set his family up for success. He's trying to provide for them. He's trying to spin the plate of success. But the problem is he's away from God. Sure, he might have a great job. Sure, he might be doing okay over there, but he's only providing in one way, and that might be in the material ways. Our primary responsibilities, especially as parents and disciples, people that we're discipling younger than us, is to teach people how to follow the heart of God. And we see Elimelech abandons this. Hey, here's the fact. You will not thrive when you consistently and intentionally live away from God's presence and God's people. I'm going to say that again, because some of us think that we can thrive apart from God's presence and apart from God's people. You will not thrive when you consistently and intentionally live away from God's presence and God's people. So what does that mean, a church project? House church. Get in a house church. I'm still a little confused why some people call church project home. They're a church home, but they're not part of a house church. House church is where relationships happen. House church is where we dialogue. You need to be in God's presence and around God's people. And we see Elimelech leaving and moving his family out. Let's get to verse 3 through 5. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha, terrible name, and the other Ruth, and they had lived there about 10 years. Both Malan and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So we see Elimelech, what's he doing? He's trying to avoid death and avoid the famine by leaving the famine. And now what? He's dead. The very thing that he was trying to avoid happens to him. And not only that, Naomi, Naomi, the one that followed her husband, um, we see this, she's often called, called right now the female Job because she's lost everything. Look, her sons even die. So now she's in a foreign country away from the people of God. Her husband dies and her two people die and you can, her two sons die and you can see why people often call her the female Job. Some of us might be living on the other side of someone else's very bad decisions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. 
the good news about the gospel and Jesus enters the world at the very right time and the first thing we, le- we learn about Jesus is the angels at high behold and declaring this name and what's the name the angels declare in the birth of Jesus? Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God is here. And Naomi finds herself in a foreign land in devastation away. And not on her own. Her hands didn't cause this. Other people's have. And so for us today, whatever we're going through, we might find ourselves in Moab, completely separated from God's presence and God's people and not at the hands of our own doing. Sometimes, yeah, we need to return. We need to repent and go back and change our ways and go back to Bethlehem. But some of us, we find ourselves in a dark place because of the actions and decisions of someone around us. Someone that we love even. So it starts with the famine, the book of Ruth, and then it goes into funerals. And then it goes into deep pain. But the book of Ruth is about the beauty, the beauty of God redeeming this dark and disgusting first five verses of Ruth. We're going to see a story where God just comes alive. So whatever mistakes you've made, or whatever mistakes others have made, that you're just dealing with, whatever natural things that have happened in this world that have hurt you, God's here. He knows you. He sees you. He cares. He has the ability to take all of this and just turn it into something beautiful, more than you could ever imagine. And if the story ended in the first five verses of Ruth, Ruth is in a terrible place. But we're going to see God redeem Ruth, we're and Naomi. We're going to see God do incredible things. The truth is this: God can repurpose famine. He can take bad things that are happening in our life and repurpose them and make them beautiful. God also redirects failures. If you failed, welcome to the club. We all have. It's time to repent. To say, God, teach me to be more like you. And God can redirect our failures and make them become some of our greatest strengths. God can also resurrect funerals. We see Naomi here with nothing but funerals. And God's going to resurrect that in her and her life. And God can also in our life, um, he can make our fears come alive. Like, be gone. He can do that. He can relieve our fears. So church, as we sit here today, I pray that the book of Ruth is something that you encounter. It starts with the pain, and a lot of us have pain in life, but it moves on to hope and love. And may we do that in the presence of the Holy Spirit in the dark places of our own hearts and life. Reflect on who God is. Be real with the pain in our life, but also have deep hope because God is coming on the scene. He hears you. He sees you, and he loves you. Church, let's pray right now as we end our time together. God, I just, I'm so thankful that you've sent your son, Jesus, to the earth to die on the cross so his precious blood can be poured out over our sins and we can be made right in your eyes, God. I thank you for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. So I pray over your people. I pray over myself. I pray over all of us today. 
that we would know that there's no pain you can't redeem. Amen? That there's no hurt that you won't meet us in and walk slowly with us, God, and redeem that hurt. I thank you that you never give up on us, God. Just like in Judges and just like what you're seeing here, we're seeing here in Ruth. Like you are very patient with your people. And so God, if there's things in our life that we need to just ask forgiveness of, may we. And may we know that you're not going to leave us there. You're taking us up the hill to a better place, God. And may we trust you for that. God, I pray that you're gentle with all your people today. And if we find ourselves in places of of circumstances that are dark and painful because of other people's choices, may we not embrace just bitterness, God, but may we embrace hope of what you're doing in our life. May we not move away from Bethlehem to Moab. May our name Christian be reflected in our actions and in our hopes, God. Thank you for redeeming the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, beautiful message. I'm so excited to pick up this devastating story next week as we begin seeing God rebuild what he's doing in Naomi's life. If you would, stick around just a few more minutes because Project Kids is up next and we want to worship with our little disciples. So start stretching and getting ready to worship. Love you, church, and we'll see you soon.